0: I learned probably several things this summer, but one thing in particular, I learned something new. Did you learn anything new this summer? I bet you did. You probably learned learned something new. This summer, I learned how to tie my shoe. Um, I, I'm still practicing. That, that's why you can see I, uh, you know, I wore slip-ons today, so that I, uh, you know, didn't get it wrong. But it turns out uh, that I've been tying my shoe wrong all these years, and. Um, um, uh, you, there's these kind of two parts to, to shoe tying, you know, like there's kind of the crossover part, and then there's the bow part, right? Well, it turns out that if you do the crossover part and the bow in the same direction, um, it, it's crooked, and it comes untied. But a runner who sold you these shoes um, uh, said if you actually if you do the crossover in the opposite direction and then tie the bow... Not only does the bow say, stay stay straight, but your shoe stays tied up. Uh, he said. He said for years I double knot my running shoes when I go running, and found out that since I you don't have to. So anyway, I learned something new this summer. Um, maybe you, you've learned something new this summer too. The irony is, I remember teaching our son Daniel how to tie his shoe when he was just a wee gaffer. Um, and and we're kind of working on it. It was that day that he got it. And I actually remember this, the day that he got it. And, and I'm kind of looking on and I'm like, oh, it's a little awkward how you're doing that, but you're getting it, so let's kind of leave it. It turns out he got it right, and he's going to right all these years. That's has been be wrong. So, so what, are the, what are the odds of that? <laughs> there, there's another lesson that I've been working on that, that seems to be much more elusive. Like, I just don't seem to be able to get it. And, and that is how to fully embrace the gift of rest. How to do, how do, how do embrace rest. Um, I, I, I thought I was doing okay on this, and I've had some disciplines in place for, for years that I thought were, were doing well. Um, when, uh, when, when we do something wise or, or smart uh, as a couple, uh, almost always it's because Anne came up with the idea. Uh, my wife um, and. and we were like early spring, kind of saying, "Okay, what's our summer going to look like? How are we going to do this?" And she said, "You know, I really think we should do a spiritual retreat this summer." Um, I'm like, "Okay, that sounds well, that sounds like fun." Um, and um, uh, so we did. We booked a week in July, uh, focus on the family, uh, runs uh, a ministry leaders retreat, and we signed up for this thing in in, uh, in July. Um, four ministry couples: so three pastoral couples, one. Um, missionary couple, um, and then one couple facilitating uh, that kind of ministering counseling uh, for for an entire week, seven days, and um, there were a bunch of sort of forms and, and kind of personal inventory things that we had to do in advance. And we're just a day or two into uh, this retreat setting, and there were times when you do kind of a two-on-two with the counseling couple, and they started going through the inventory. I thought you, I thought I was going into this. Um, In a pretty good spot, you know. I I think I'm doing pretty well, you know, especially all things considered. You know, all the chaos that we've been managing and and so on. I knew Anne was tired. Like I knew that she was kind of going into this, you know, needing to. So, so this was really for her. But, but then I discovered. (laughs) (laughs) Then I discovered that I was not nearly as well as I thought I was. Uh, There, there was one kind of personal inventory piece in particular that was, frankly, a little scary when I kind of looked at the assessment I had offered myself. And so the question, the question this morning is really, is it well with your soul? And and, and what are the practices that you're putting into your life in order to establish and maintain the wellness of your soul, the wellness of your life. Body Soul and spirit, what are you doing that is going to sustain you in the spiritual journey? Um, over the past few weeks, we've been on this uh, journey together through uh, Genesis chapter one and two. My my plea has been: can we just kind of stay in the garden? Like, can we stay out of Genesis chapter three and the fall of man and the the chaos and sadness that followed that? Can we just linger in the garden for a little bit? And in this journey, we've been. We've been focusing on this idea of what does it mean to build a place to belong. And, and, and of course, week one, we were there recognizing that God, God created space. He created the universe. He values space and place. And we've begun to kind of think through the beginnings of what you might call a theology of space. And, and God created the universe and he created human beings as kind of the crown jewel in this setting such that His his goodness would be seen through us, would be radiating through us. He made us in His image. He made us to to represent Him in this space. And then we too, we recognize we looked at the fact that He has made us to be relational beings, Um, that we belong in this astounding space that He's created, but we also belong in relationship, firstly with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and then secondly, we belong in relationship with one another. And he, he's created, he's given the utterly intimate relationship of marriage. And he's given us the, the meaningfully intimate relationship of friendship in response to his assessment. Do you remember the assessment? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good for the man... To be alone and so he's provided relationship in this space that we have been and then last sunday labor day weekend we made note of the fact that god has work for each one of us to do and we made a particular point of the fact that this is the pre-fall condition of humanity like this is genesis 1 and 2. and as much as we often in our society and culture look at how difficult work can be, how frustrating it can be, work is good. And we've a commission to the work of filling, of governing, and of reigning. And, and, and this metaphor, this idea that we are priests in this work of filling, governing, and reigning, priests who are worshiping the Most High God and who are representing him in uh, the, the, this temple that he's created, this universe that he's created. Um, but we've, used, we've recognized him in the language uh, of representing him as king. He's the king who's called out of chaos, uh, into order, all that is. But then there's th- also present this language of the universe as a temple, that he has taken and come to rest among us. And has come, from most high God, to be resident among us, and calls us to worship Him, and calls us to represent Him as part of our priestly responsibility. This morning, kind of following on the heels of our first week back to school, maybe it's first week back to the chaos of, uh, of driving into Calgary, managing the the traffic that's returned to its its you know busy norm. I, I think it's it's important. That we that we pause now on on what it means to rest. What, what does it mean? What does it mean to create in the midst of our work and a, a sustainable reality? Something that can be not just endured, but actually enjoyed in the midst of of carrying out what it means to be the image of God in our world. How can we prevail at this work that he's given us to do, despite the fact that it is often difficult or frustrating? And some people, in answer to that, they'll just say, look, just suck it up, princess. You know, like just grin and bear it, tough it out. Maybe you've heard the the advice that Dilbert uh, gives, to this lampooner of workplace um, kind of politics. Uh, his advice is eat one live toad the first thing in the morning, and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. Right? Okay? So that's kind of the tough it up, uh, tough it out, suck it up. Um, strategy. Uh, most of us look towards summer, you know, as an opportunity for refreshment, an opportunity for renewal. Uh, take a vacation, take a break, maybe run at a little slower speed, a little bit of rest and recovery, rest and relaxation, a little R and R. and I don't know about you, but I find that I so often I get to the fall, I like, Where did the summer go? Like, holy smokes, it just kind of blew past. And maybe I got a taste of rest. And recovery, but I'm not sure that I got everything that my body, soul, and spirit is calling up for. What's up with that? And and and, and, and then we deal with this also reality <laughs> that, that even if you did get tons of rest and, and recovery and, and man, you get to the end of August, and you can't wait for September to kick in, but the reality is that. That's still not going to be enough to carry you 12 months till next summer. Like, if you think of it as a, a rechargeable battery, battery, and I recharge my batteries over the course of the summer, it does not have the staying power to, to, to last a full year. And, and, and so, uh, this summer I've been kind of grappling with not only how to tie my shoes, because it's undoing a lot of years of you know, doing it the wrong way, but, but but I've learned how desperately we need to create rhythms in our lives that are a daily and a weekly rhythm that are gonna sustain wellness. How about you? Um, we're going back to Genesis chapter one and two again this morning, and, and, and astounding is that right in that, that first those first chapters of the Word of God, God prescribes a particular rhythm and models that for us right at the dawn of time. And it's the the weekly practice of Sabbath. The weekly practice of Sabbath. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to be on the screen. Uh, If you're looking it up digitally, I'm in the New Living Translation this morning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Verse 24, I think, is where I started, is that right? Sort of screen. Yeah, there we go, verse 24. Let's stand together and give our full attention to the word of God. Starting at verse 24. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, wild animals. And that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, God saw that it was good. Then God said, let's make human beings in our image to be like us. It will rain over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful. Multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, Look, I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. And then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth, and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account creation of the heavens and the earth. May God help us understand it and apply it in our lives this morning. see it? God rested from all his work. I, I, I picture him, I, maybe it's just me, I picture him on, on a lounge chair, you know, with fruity drink in his hand, sunglasses, you know, broad-brimmed hat, you know, the leafy foliage of the jungles behind him. He's got his feet kind of extended out toward the the, the calm, pristine sea that he's just called into order. I don't know Is it just me or is that I hope you get to experience something like that From time to time But, but, but him entering into his rest is so much more than, than that kind of stereotypical Picture of rest So here's the big idea this morning God is offering you The gift of Sabbath Rest now, We're going to ask three questions about it Well, What is Sabbath rest and secondly Why do I need Sabbath rest third question is, how do I get Sabbath rest? What is it? Why do I need it? How do I get it? Um, that's the outlines of your sermon notes, if you want to pull them out of your bullet. Uh, jot down a couple things as we go along this morning. Retain what maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking as we proceed. So let's begin with what is Sabbath rest? What is Sabbath rest? Sabbath rest, firstly, it's, it's a, a healthy relationship with my work. Is that ironic? I can admire any in that. Like Sabbath rest is a healthy relationship with my work. I mean, many people take their sense of, of self value, their sense of self worth, from the things they do. I mean, it might be what you're employed to do, or it might be a hobby that you're particularly skilled at. But we tend to, 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 to from these things, take the sense of am I personally value uh, ought other people respect me? Pay attention to me? Oh, <coughs> instead of taking our worth from the fact that God has created us in His image. Uh, the fact that God has put his stamp of approval on our lives, uh, that God has given himself in order that we can be restored in relationship to him, uh, these are the things that actually establish our sense of value separate from all the things we do. And he's called us to do good things. The work of filling, the work of, of managing or governing the work of reigning, and this all together under this idea that we are priests, worshiping to him, bringing worship to him, and calling others to come to him and and be embraced by him. That part of our role, our work, is to take that which he's called out of chaos into order and and to maintain that govern and to call back into order that which has been spinning out of order into chaotic situation in the chaotic realm again. A good work, it's good work, but it is not the work that we take our sense of value from. Now the book of Deuteronomy uh, was seems best to best be understood as a series of, of sermons that Moses preached to the children of Israel as they stood about to go into the promised land. God had sent them into, into the nation of Israel Moses wasn't going to be going with them um, He was going to die outside the land And so he Is kind of bringing his best advice How is it That we're going to live effectively As God's people In the place that he's given To us And so that's kind of the bigger picture Of the book of Deuteronomy um, The heart of Deuteronomy Comes in Deuteronomy chapter 6 Verse 4 Uh, The Jewish people could refer to it as the Shema. Uh, Maybe you remember it. The Shema comes from the first word in the Hebrew of of it. Some of you have said this with me before. Why don't don't you try it with me again this morning? Shema Yisrael Adonai Eleichenu Adonai Echad. Try that again. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eleichenu Adonai Echad. Listen, O oh Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is is one, or the Lord alone. And then, and then it goes on, chapter verse five. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Does this sound a little like Jesus? Remember that Matthew. <coughs> and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly <coughs> to these commands that I'm giving you. Well, if you've been with us the last couple of years, you'll know that just in the chapter before. Deuteronomy chapter 5, the ten commands are there and they're kind of this expanded so the ten commands, whoop, contracted into Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema and then expanded through the rest of the book of Deuteronomy uh, well those, those ten commands are, are, are understood, they can be rightly understood as kind of a bill of rights for the children of Israel as they would go into the promised land that God had given them the first three commands are about God's rights, the last six are about human rights Rights. So the first three, God's right to be worshipped uh, exclusively, to be represented accurately. You no know the gods before me, no idols. Um, don't misrepresent my name. Um, god's right to be worshipped uh, accurately, exclusively, um, uh, represented accurately. The final six, kind of a bill of rights about what it means to be human beings. The right of parents to be honored. Uh, the, the right to life, to not murder. Uh, the right for a spouse to expect fidelity uh, you know, from their partner. Um, the, it's interesting that then the middle command, the fourth command, kind of goes both ways. Um, it, it's both about God's right to be worshipped, and it's about the human right to be a day off. Uh, this is God's wisdom coming. So here's Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day, the middle of the Ten Commandments, Fourth commandment observe the sabbath day by keeping it holy as the lord your god has commanded you you have six days each week for your ordinary work but the seventh day is a sabbath day of rest dedicated to the lord your god on that day, no one in your household may do any work this includes you your sons and daughters your male and female servants your oxen and donkeys and other livestock and any foreigners living among you all your male and female servants must rest as you do Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Okay, so these are Moses' instructions, speaking the word of God to the children of Israel standing on the edge uh, of the Promised Land. Ancient times, uh, anybody here living in uh, 1500 BC, roughly, um, Jewish, standing on the edge of the Promised Land, about to go ahead. Okay, hey, none of you are that, okay? So, these are instructions to that group of people. And we look and we understand principles. God's revealing himself to us as the new people of God. And we, But we get to learn from this. And one of the things that we learn from this is that... We need to have a healthy relationship with with that work that he's given us, the filling and governing and reigning as we carry it out as priestly duties. He says, look, you've got six days to to do that ordinary work, the regular work of your life. But the seventh day, the people were to rest. And everybody was to rest, the slaves, the animals. Everyone was to take a break on the seventh day. Um, And the reason given here in Deuteronomy um, chapter 5 is is that they were to remember that they used to be slaves and they're not slaves anymore. So stop stop living like a slave. Stop being driven by the, the, the bull whip of your slave master, even if that's that little voice in the back of your head that won't let you slow down. You're no longer a slave. And, and, and so it's time to acknowledge that. So you're taking the day off is acknowledging what that is about. You, you need to live in a healthy relationship with your work. You, also, you need to take an intentional pause in order to recalibrate, in order to recalibrate, in order to, to, to reorganize your life, recenter your life on what's truly important. Uh, Deuteronomy is the second time that the Ten Commandments are listed for us in the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the second time that it's been tri- written out for us by Moses. first time is back in Exodus. Um, the second time is to the children, because a generation died off in of wilderness. The first time it was articulated to the first generation that actually came out of Egypt, and it's in that telling that it it, it offers another sort of reason, another layer as to why we were to observe, why they were to observe Sabbath. Uh, Exodus chapter twenty, verse eleven: For in the six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. It says, hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In the 60s he made it, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. The Lord rested. There was a pause button pushed, and a recalibration was offered. This is linking us back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Now a couple of things that we've noted here. God's modeling something for us, a pattern of work and then rest. There's something to be learned by that. Secondly, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God entered his rest. And we've been observing that kind of language from Genesis, this idea uh, that that, that in the temple that's been created of the universe, God has has come uh, to to reside with us. Um, And and so then we get the second idea, and that is that God is calling us to worship him as part of Sabbath why the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Set it apart as holy. Not different. Not unique. Um, set apart, actually, is a, a definition of the word holy. So, so I'm going to have a healthy relationship with my work. Uh, it does not define me. Um, I, I, can, I can separate myself from it. I can take a day off, and the world is not going to fall apart. Um, I am I, I'm going to push an intentional pause in order that I would recalibrate, but I'm also going to then engage in the deeply spiritual practice of checking in with God as part of declaring the day, experiencing the holiness of the day. Now, now note what Sabbath is not. Uh, Sabbath is not leisure. I, I mean, we talk about rest, but we get kind of the wrong idea if, if we misunderstand that. Sabbath is holy time. Sabbath is, is different, a, a different kind of intentionality compared to the other six days of, of my week. Uh, maybe this will help. Listen to what Mark Buchanan writes in, the, in his book, The Rest of God. Sabbath is time sanctified. Time betrothed, time we perceive and receive and approach differently from all other time. Sabbath time is unlike every and any other time on the clock and the calendar. We're more intimate with it. We're more thankful for it. We're more protective of it and generous with it. We become more ourselves in the presence of Sabbath more vulnerable, less afraid, more ready to confess, to be silent, to be small, to be valiant. He goes on, he says, one of the largest obstacles to true Sabbath keeping is leisure. It's what cultural historian Witold Levinsky calls waiting for the weekend, where we see work as only an extended interlude between our real lives. Sanctifying some time adds richness to all of time. Just as an hour with the one you love brings light and levity to the hours that follow. Is that a different way of thinking about Sabbath rest? Sanctifying one day in order to bring meaning into the six days that are going to follow. So, so, if that begins to get at what Sabbath is, why do we need Sabbath rest? Well, we kind of covered it already, but, but we're, we're bringing meaning into these other six days, bringing richness into the other six days. We're informing that relationship with work. We're bringing it back into the, the from sprawling cacophony that it could become, and, and we're bringing it back into respecting it where we're hitting pause where we're calibrating we're refocusing and we're engaging in a a deeply spiritual practice of checking in with God on the regularity of the weekly cycle I'm inviting him to bring his knowledge to me I'm inviting him to bring his understanding to me that I would see it I'm recognizing I'm not essential I am not irreplaceable but God is and he loves me. And that begins to kind of just put the right spin on all of this. When I embrace the practice of a weekly Sabbath rest, every week I engage intentionally in reminding myself that I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being. And I'm invited to be with the one who created and the ones he's given to me, to me I'm in relationship but how do I get Sabbath rest that's what, if that's what it is uh, why we need it how, how do we get it it's going to begin with a decision that you're going to have to make you're going to have to make the decision I will observe Sabbath, we will observe Sabbath that might require some negotiating uh, you as a family may have to when are we going to do this how are we going to do this what could we do that's going to help one another engage in this this helpful practice this, ne- this thing that's going to help feed my soul and give me sustainability in, in the process and, and, the, and the, of life uh, how, how could we bless one another by, by providing some, some things that would be helpful oh well, Ann and I, since July, have been kind of working very intentionally on this. It's not that it was a new idea, it was just kind of new acceptance of, uh, of the need. And, and so we've been working on it, but we're not batting a 1,000. Um, are we batting 500? I don't know. Uh, we're trying to work, trying to figure out, you know, how do we do this better? Um, and, and so I would pose the first question, that would be, what practices work for you? What practices work for you? One of the challenges of deciding uh, how you're going to engage in Sabbath um, is we try to define work. We've got to figure out, like, how do I even define what work is? And you might find that difficult. I, as a pastor, find that particularly difficult. Uh, Because, like, my life and my faith, my family, everything that I do is is all about church. Like, everything is utterly linked and connected. So uh, we're kind of. Trying to figure out what does it mean to engage in Sabbath together as a family. It's going to require for you, like us, to engage in some intentional discernment. Um, what is it? What practices would you embrace that are going to that are going to help you observe the holiness of this day? Uh, that they're going to help you observe a, a set of, of of your Sabbath. That's going to help you define what is Sabbath rest. Um, maybe helpful would be a list of spiritual practices, just as a, a for instance. Uh, this is a list that's been gathered by some kind of spiritual formation writers over the last 50 years, 100 years or so. Um, they, would, they would list things like this. Uh, it would be on the screen silence. I don't observe silence very well,
1: solitude, fasting, prayer. Serving, fellowship, Communion. There's another kind: study, teaching, meditation,
0: spiritual reading. I like these words: simplicity, submission, confession. What about guidance? So the invitation to, to, to put Sabbath rest in my my weekly calendar is, is this invitation to engage in spiritual disciplines that would help sanctify the day. Give me a reminder that they, there's something about this 24 hour period that's going to be holy, it's going to be set apart for God. Now, it's not obligation or ought. This is, is something to be done out of gratitude and get to. It's not got to, it's gifts to Okay, seventh, rest is a gift uh, that, that God is giving to you, is offering to you. It, it connects his right to be worshipped and my right and need for, for, for freedom, uh, to be out from under uh, the slavery that would want to put me back into the bondage uh, that is present us. Um, so, so i got to figure out what is work, and I gotta, that's one piece that I need to, what are the practices that are going to work for you? Um, here's another one, what are the hours that are going to work for you? Um, I, mean, I mean, maybe beginning your Sabbath on Saturday night at dinner and kind of running it through Sunday at dinner, you know, would be a good sort of rhythm for you. Jewish people measure days that way. Maybe it's beginning in the morning and going to the next morning. Maybe, maybe that's what works for you. Um, uh, you. You have freedom, you have flexibility in, in how you do this and when you do this. Um, the, the key would be, can I find 24 hours when a uh, part of the schedule is rest, a part of the schedule is worship, a part of the schedule is connecting with God, a part of the schedule is, is, is connecting with those He's given me, those who are around with me. Maybe 24 hours is completely unreasonable. You can't do that. So we'll start with 12. Right? It's not law. It's not got to, it's get to. It's not ought. It, 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 it's, it's something I want to do out of gratitude and recognizing uh, it's good for me and the world in which I live. Now here's something else, a third thing that might be helpful, and that would be establish some rituals that would would help establish and remind you of, of Sabbath time. Ann and I have been lighting a Sabbath candle uh, on Sunday mornings when we get up. We put it on the counter. I forgot to light it this morning. It's yeah, exactly for you. Um, set it on the counter, light it, and just, just as a visual reminder, just a visual. We use a battery-powered one because we're not safe with too much fire in the house. Um, but but it, uh, it's just a reminder. What a pastor, it? yeah, it's, it's quite a powerful thing. Uh, when we were on our retreat in, in July, one of the practices, that we were given a box. It was a Sabbath box. And the invitation was, put stuff that's work-related into the box. Now, somebody's you are going to need a big box. You know, it's going to be big enough for your computer, or big enough for your pickup truck, or I don't, you know, I don't know what you got to put into your Sabbath box. Uh, but think of it as a metaphor. Maybe your smartphone's got to go in there, because every time it bangs and bombs, you're out of Sabbath, and you're suddenly back at work and answering things, and you're right back into the mayhem of life. But Maybe maybe a Sabbath box would be, what are the rituals what are the rituals that would just help you stay in a place of, of Sabbath? This is something that you're going to, to, to need to figure out. The invitation is that you be purposefully forgetful about the rigors and the demands uh, that, that, that are around you in life. It's, it's very interesting to me, and I think meaningful for all of us, that the Bible actually never defines work in, in the sense in which we're using the word It never says what qualifies at work. In fact, people over the centuries have made their lists of what is or is not work, and every time they've done it, it's gone terribly wrong. Like it's become a legalistic, can, can, and all of a sudden, uh, the Sabbath wasn't made for man, man was made for the Sabbath. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. It's God's gift for you. And and so we're, we're engaging in, this is an invitation to engage in uh, a set of practices, a way of thinking that would invite a sustainable wellness. The Problem, of course, is that we wear busyness uh, like a crown in our society. We do we not? You know, I experience that. Somebody sticks their head in my office and says, "You busy? You think I'm wasting time or something? What do you think I'm lazy? I'm not lazy. Of course, I'm busy. Right?" You know? I mean nobody wants to nobody wants to give the answer, you know, I'm just, you know, kind of so so media, I'm just kinda of mean and to busy today, you know, um, in response to the answer. I mean, we wear busyness like a crown. Um, it, it, it's part of the sickness of our society. It's part of the chaos that God would invite us to bring back into his reign and his rule. And I'm going to in faith embrace truth, I can rest, I worship, and I have to learn how to do the work of Sabbath. I invite the worship team to come and join me. I invite you to stand with us. Let's bow together for a couple of moments. I want to give you a gift of silence for a couple of minutes. He says that when he stands up in the chairs, where's the silence in that? Here's the thing, I find it with silence, and that is that... Um, it can seem very loud when you're not used to it. Can we just bow together for a few minutes? And then I'm going to lead us to prayer.
1: Lord, <coughs> oh, here we are this morning. Your people gathered in this place. we mm-hmm. How little in our lives is genuinely holy, genuinely set apart. And where we confess how easy it is to place ourselves at the center of our lives. You know, they around me, my schedule, my work busyness wanting you invite us to come back put you in the side Lord Jesus will you lead us to establish
0: You can't live life at warp speed without warping your soul. He goes on to note the following. Psalm 46.10 has only eight words, 24 letters, but it stands as an indictment to modern ministry.
1: Be still and know. Brought a confession. Work in us, change, repentance. Of course, walking in the way. not a way—not out of the pot, not feeling.